Thank you. Thank you for joining the Fastest Known Podcast, where for 30 or 40 minutes every Friday, we talk to some of the most interesting people in the sport, except today we're not doing that. We're talking to four people. That's right. It's December. It's the end of the year. We've had an amazing year. So today we're going to review four of our best podcasts as short snippets. So this is only going to be about 44 minutes long. And this is going to be the highlight reel, if you will. I'll tell you who we're going to talk with in a second. But first, I want to thank you again for the contributions that have been coming in to Fastest Known Times. We recently added a donation box on our ROOT and FKT submission forms. Our donations instantly tripled, so thank you very much. We definitely appreciate the support. You've all requested more features for the website. We hope to do that, and we need to raise a little revenue in order to execute on that. Okay, who are you going to be listening to? I'll tell you, our very first episode, still the most listened to, was with Anton Kropitschka. Yep, you've heard of him. And he's going to tell you about the Long's Peak Triathlon. And sometimes being successful, this is his quote, means just getting back to the car alive. Yeah, good stuff. Next, Carl Sabe, the Belgian dentist who set the record on the Appalachian Trail. An amazing FKT. He broke it by four days. How did he do that? You are about to find out. Thirdly, you'll hear from Heather Anderson, a.k.a. Anish. I think for a while there, maybe she still is the best through hiker in the world. I mean, she simultaneously held the, the records on the Pacific Crest Trail, the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trails in the same year. So she gets it done. And then when she did the um, Triple Crown, she said... I wanted to relinquish control, to let it go and let it unfold. It was an area of growth for me. That's words of wisdom from someone who has a lot of experience. And fourthly, in this highlights reel, you're going to hear from the, from the best ultra runner in the United States right now, Jim Walmsley, describing the fabled rim-to-rim-to-rim alt route which goes across the Grand Canyon from the South Rim to the North Rim and back, but not via using a bridge. Hope you enjoy it. It's going to be really fun. And thanks again for all your support. This is Buzz Burrell. I'm here today with Anton Kropitschka. Welcome. Thanks, Buzz. Thanks for having me. Uh, normally at this point in time, we do a, a boring biography of you, but... We're going to skip that this time. That is fine with me. We've done that together I, like I, 20 I know, times. Yeah, and I know myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone doesn't know Anton Kropitschka, Google will suffice, I think. But we could summarize by saying you're an extremely well-known person, and you've shifted from being a top ultra racer uh, to doing almost everything in the mountains, from running, climbing, biking, and skiing. Yeah, that's, that's about right. Uh, I guess the one thing I would add to that was it wasn't initially uh, a voluntary shift mm -hmm. um, sort of imposed upon me by injuries but instead of well as an alternative to wallowing in self-pity I guess I took up a bunch of other activities to get outside. 
say injuries kept you because you were a competitor. You loved competing. You loved. I still love competing. Yeah, it's not yeah. definitely not a past tense thing. Yeah, I think competition is super useful. Yeah. yeah, and then you got you had to take that side path of cycling, which is no impact. It's good, yeah. easy on your body. Uh, because running, of course, is high impact, relatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, no, running is very abusive and something that I think is often overlooked about the sport. Uh, so in the summers, I do a lot of cycling as cross-training. In the winters, a lot of skiing. And uh, in the summers, especially, a lot of climbing, too. So, yeah. And one of your more notable FKTs is the Long Peak Triathlon, where you indeed, that's why it's called a triathlon. It's biking, it's running or hiking, and it's climbing. Yeah, yeah, that was, gosh, I guess already two years ago I did that with uh, my buddy Stefan Griebel, a fellow athlete here in Boulder, uh, mountain athlete. He, I consider him a climber primarily, but he's really into the cardio stuff as well, uh, biking and running. And um, that was a cool objective because it combines all three of those. And you have to be, you have to be strong stamina-wise, endurance, but also technically proficient on an alpine big wall so uh so yeah, you start it's, it's, in boulder now tradition the traditional start was the bus stop is that what you did yeah yeah we start from the bus stop in north boulder okay and then you bike 44 miles if memory serves correct. something like that 40 to 40 i can't remember exactly <laughs> yeah 42 maybe up to the longs peak trailhead where you uh stash your bike in the tree or lock it to a tree and then uh hike or run up to the base of, of the, the diamond yeah and that's why it's the triathlon, because then you climb the diamond, yep. which is, is that a 10B or a 10A? 10A, yeah. It's, there's like, it's like a 20-foot section that's 10A. The rest of it's more 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, uh, if the whole thing was, was 10A, I would have a lot harder time on it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when we, we had a, our climbing rack consisted of four cams. And, four cams. And eight draws, so. Uh, that's thin. Yeah, but that's because it's moderate. It's a moderate route. Um, otherwise, and there's you know there's fixed pitons, not really any fixed gear, but um, a couple of sling anchors and a few fixed pitons on the route. So mm -hmm. there's other intermittent protection. Some people would not call a ten A at thirteen and a half thousand feet moderate. That is well. That's funny that you mentioned the altitude. I just climbed it again a couple of weeks ago and. And I was reminded of how much harder climbing at almost 14K is. It's just, you're kind of just maxed out on something that down here in Boulder and Eldo, you'd feel really comfortable on. So, um, yeah, that's a factor for sure. And then you get to the top, and then you bundle up your gear. Mm -hmm. You run, jog, or hike down the North Face cables. Definitely running. Well, I mean, you, you, there's a quick scramble down the cable section itself, but then you're <laughs> running every step back down the trailhead if you're trying to go quickly. And yeah, you're just you're going for it, and that's mm -hmm. you, you have to have terrific footwork because this is called the Boulder Field. Yeah, the Boulder Field right below the cables is an iconic section for sort of the the every person's route up uh, the keyhole route on Longs Peak, and it's just a jumble of boulders, and it's super tricky. It's it's I mean, trying to run through that quickly is at least as dangerous as climbing on the diamond itself because you catch a toe, you're going to break your face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's going to be the full-on yard sale. Yeah. And then you get back down to the trailhead, you get on the bikes, and mm -hmm. it's 44 miles back to Boulder. Yeah, and that's where it really, um, that becomes the crux because even though it's downhill, 
you get down to Lions. Well, there's rollers even before that along the Peak to Peak, and then you get down to Lions, and it's another 12 miles or so back to Boulder. And uh, if you catch a headwind, or it's just there's these rollers, and you're at the end of this long effort. So it really is nice to have a partner to be trading, drafting with. Mm -hmm. um, so how long did it take? Uh, it took Stephen and I nine hours and six minutes. Nine oh six. Yeah, and that was. Uh, well, we, we broke the overall FKT, and that we're set the overall FKT doing that, but that was unsupported. So we carried all of our gear from Boulder to the top of Long's Peak and back. Uh, so you're biking with ropes and... Exactly. Rope. We're biking with a rope and, and our climbing rack and change climbing shoes, harness, all of that, helmets. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I guess you, you would definitely go faster with support if you had someone... Uh, even if you had gear stashed at the base of the diamond or something like that, uh, just because you wouldn't have to carry all that weight up. But nine know. hours and six minutes is how long it takes some people to do Long's Peak up and back from the trailhead just... Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, there's people starting at 2, 3 in the morning all summer long to right. go up the keyhole route. That's sure. a good project. Congratulations again. Mm, thanks, Buzz. Yeah. And you've tried a few other things in the past that haven't worked out. Oh, I've done all sorts of stuff that hasn't worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's something that is maybe not uh, uh, as widely realized is that it doesn't always... Um, so people hear about the successes. Yeah, people hear about the successes, and mountains are unpredictable, and that's why we go into the mountains is because there's an element of uncertainty and adventure, and that means that you're going to fail a lot of the time, I guess. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Kyle Richardson just set the FKT on the LA freeway. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good route. I know you've considered it. I've definitely considered it. Um, it. Something I'm still, I mean, I would like to break his time for sure. Uh, I think it's a super cool route going from Long's Peak to South Arapahoe Peak. Uh, it's neat because there's an element, there's a technical element to it that is, uh, creates a certain barrier to entry, I think. Uh, you know, even something like Nolan's 14, which I've also attempted and failed miserably at, uh, you never have to, it never has to be more difficult than class two, you know, basically just off trail hiking. Um, but this is, there's mandatory five, six on it, which is really cool. And it's, it's mandatory. You can't get around it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. That's just a nice, that's something that makes it interesting and engaging. Well, we're talking with Kyle next, so stay tuned on that. Right on. Um, and you, but you can handle five six. Is there any other routes? Usually, I can handle five six. I've backed off five six before. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, that's well, that's good. Let's just, just to dwell on that because we talk yeah. about numbers. People always want to hear about the numbers. Sure. How far yeah. is it, et cetera, et cetera? What's the grade? But really, isn't it about how you feel? It's always about how you feel. I mean, just like a year ago, I was up in the Cirque of the Towers in the Wind River Range in Wyoming, and the. There's a really classic alpine traverse there the, of all the towers in the Cirque. I think it's 10 peaks. and Cirque of the Towers. Yeah, Cirque of the Towers, Southern Wind River Range. And I got to the second one, the East Ridge of Wolf's Head, and I'm on-siding it solo. But that route is supposed to be 5-6, and I wasn't feeling comfortable with this certain traverse section. I looked thin and extremely exposed to me. That's the hand traverse right. Uh, kind of a piton traverse, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's, there's no crack, yeah. It's sort of this like, well, it's a very thin crack that you can it's, pound pitons into. But yeah, it's these little dishes. It's just out on this face. What kind of shoes were you using? 
I was in climbing shoes, uh-huh. just you pros, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I wasn't just in running shoes. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought I thought I'd done the crux of the route because I just, you know, 20 minutes before that, I'd soloed a 5.8 pitch on Pingora. South Buttress of Pingora and was felt 100% solid the entire way, you know. Wow. And so it's just, you never know, um, especially with an old school route like that or a historic route like that, I guess. We just, you can never go by the grade. Right. Uh, yeah. It's got to be how you feel. When I did that, I had backpacked in. I was on a five-day backpack. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so I had brought climbing shoes for that. I would recommend climbing shoes for that. <laughs> <laughs> that hand traverse right, it gave me pause. I said, wow, yeah. really? This is it? Huh. Mm-hmm. And I looked at a couple different options. You can go high, and there's actually a crack. You can go low, and there's little dishes, and I just didn't feel good about either of them. So, good yeah. call. Yeah. Good call. That's, uh, I think... F- fastest known times are a fascinating realm of the adventure world, aren't they? Because in a race, you're always looking at that number. Here's a distance, here's the vert, and in climbing, you're looking at the grade. Yeah. But in FKT, no. Well, it just depends. Like, there's so many, there's very few, I guess all the unknowns in a race are internal. Like, are you going to be able to maintain motivation, essentially, or stubbornness to overcome the discomfort. Uh, in an FKT, if you're trying to go fast on uh, a less controlled route in the mountains, you know, one where there's no aid stations, there's no support system, there's no safety net, basically, uh, you have to be self-reliant and make good decisions so that you uh, are, in order to be successful. And sometimes being successful just means getting back to the car. These are some of the, on the AT, some of the most famous ultra runners in the United States, and you were way faster. So how? I mean, what, what do you have to say about that? You mentioned that this is your specialty, but as you also mentioned, if, if this was a head-to-head race over 50 or 100 miles, someone else would come out on top. So how does one do this? You, you really did well. You, you have techniques here. What are they? Um, so I think also yeah, one of the one of the important things to mention is is age difference, of course. Uh, so Scott, age. So Scott was uh, 41. Um, Carl was uh, 48, I think, at the time. Whereas I'm 28, and it's all about recovery during a 40-day or 50-day adventure like that. And it's just, I think, scientifically proven that as a 28-year-old. Recovery is faster than when you're 41 or when you're 48. So that's definitely one of the reasons that Joe and I managed to better the times of, of Scott and, and Carl, Joe unsupported, and then me doing as much as four days of the record. So age is definitely one of the one of the things. Yeah, I think a very important one is the start of the day. Um, when we when we did some presentations about the PCT, we um, I always covered the fact the mornings uh, that Carl was having were really slow because it's um, it's just a, a barrier you got to go over through because it's the day after day another 50 miler and you get up and you you know it's going to be another 50 miler, uh, but this time Carl was extremely de- um, disciplined. He just he just woke up. We know he had only 20 minutes and then he he should start running. And we we actually managed to stay within those 20 minutes. His his breakfast was ready when he woke up. He had his coffee, and then um, he just got dressed, and then we immediately started walking. So uh, 
we just found it was a really big difference already starting to walk, um, whereas he would stay still at the PCT. And well, I was always surprised when I had to get back to the to the camp how much um, uh, how many miles we covered already just by doing the breakfast um, walking. That's excellent, excellent. So I appreciate the self-effacing comment again. It's age played a big factor. Then start of the day, that's brilliant. 20 minutes after waking up, you were moving forward. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, honestly just time to to get dressed and and that's it. Um, I had a coffee hiking already, and then um, that gave me some time to get my feet used to being in the shoes again. And and as Joe says, by the time he got back to camp, uh, he was always surprised yeah, by the, the ground we have already covered. And then I think we tried to um, keep that mindset. Um, and every uh, every occasion where there could have been um, a stop, we tried to minimize it, um, such as like we had multiple backpacks. So last time in the PCT, we only had one backpack. So then he had to stop, wait for me to fill it up. Whereas now we just had to replace the tracker and his cell phone and, and another um, ready-made bag and he could just uh, move on again. Yeah. And then also during these meetups with the crew, um, like it was funny, I had a few friends coming over to run with me and then one guy said at the meetup, hey, why are you sitting on the trunk? You should have a, a chair so that you're comfortable. And then we were like, oh no, that's definitely part of the plan. It has to be uncomfortable because once you sit down in a chair and it's comfortable before you even <clears throat> had the feeling that you had a break, it's already half an hour. It goes extremely quick during those breaks. So I just sat down a bit on the ground or on the trunk um, and then I, I really had the feeling that I needed to get going again. Another another really important part that I think um, and that Carl mentioned to me a couple of times is this time um, the first weeks we had we had pacers um, so guys who were running with Carl whereas last time in the PCT he would be uh, totally alone and then when he would see me that would have been like one of his highlights of the day uh, to have some social interaction and I think he didn't have the need as much this time to stay at the crew and and talk it over because he had some company during the during the the run uh, during the day as well some um, some local people who just came up and and started running with us um, I think that helped a lot by not having the the need to 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 stop longer at, at the resupply stops. Excellent suggestions. Multiple packs. I've seen people do that at ultra races before, but you took it to another level by using that technique on a multi-day trail run. So it really comes down to a, a, a term Peter and I coined a number of years ago: relentless forward motion. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a really good. Term. That's how you can um summarize an fkt attempt in my opinion nice indeed when i first uh, started looking at the big long trails it was flying brian robinson who did the calendar triple crown here in the united states and we did a full day with him and it was so educational of course the guy didn't run a step and he was doing much bigger miles per day than ultra runners do because of relentless forward motion your, it's yeah. time moving forward on your feet is really what's going to move you forward rather than the speed at which you move. That's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was glad I had that experience during the PCT because at first, um, yeah, I wasn't that experienced. Of course, I, I ran the Marathon de Sable, but 
I was in stopping um, to eat something during the PCT, and then sometimes a true hiker would would overtake me during my break, and then I would always be surprised how long it took me to to catch up with them. I was always thinking, oh, they must have gotten off trail or or I don't know, but um, just by by yeah, keeping on the staying on the move, it's it's incredible how much ground you can can cover just by by hiking pretty fast. Excellent. And as we were following you on Fastest Known Time website, which was fun, we had a nice little tracker set up there. We were noticing that you appeared to be starting at 4 a.m. every day and finishing at 6.30 p.m. So you were putting sleep in the bank and food in the stomach. Other people at that stage, you know, with a week or two to go, they kind of looked like they were starving to death. And you, you were looking pretty good toward the end, I think. Yeah, so that was um, also one of the main um, main approaches that that uh, definitely made a difference. So um, during the PCT, I really had hours and hours of struggling in the evening because I was tired, my feet were hurting, and then when the sun has gone down and it's dark, and then you are looking so forward to to arriving at camp and to sleeping that it's actually working. Yeah against you because you actually slow down because yeah your um, your courage goes away a bit uh, because you're thinking okay um, i'll be happy if it's 10 p.m when i get at camp and then the terrain suddenly becomes difficult and you say oh no it's gonna be midnight and then let's try to make it by 1 a.m and those were really hours that i i struggled a lot so now uh, we decided to to use the jet lag that we had from traveling from europe um, and start off very early in the morning so I could do my night running in the morning when I'm waking up and, and um, still fresh, my feet are feeling good. And we were going to see how long we, could, we would be able to, to keep it, that up. Um, and then actually we ended up um, doing that the entire time. It was really great. Um, I went really fast in the morning because that was also one thing I wanted to do because I, I kept on reading and, and hearing from uh, Scott's stories and from Joe's stories that they really uh, dropped speed at night. Um, so I decided to to run with, with two head torches, like one on my head and then one in my hand, um, very powerful head torches. Um, I also opened up um, the GPS file of uh, the small sections of the AT on my GPS watch, so I didn't have to struggle with um, finding the blazes and, and getting out my GPS to check if I was still on track and stuff like that. Um, so I went faster at night and um, I did it in the morning. And then it was really fun to see that every day. So the first hour you're waking up, then you hear the first birds and then the sun slowly gets up and that gives you a boost. And then um, it's also uh, a really big boost that by by 11 or 11:30 in the morning you're already over halfway and then um, it's it's a really nice flow the entire day and then I I did end up very early at camp almost every day um, before sunset I think I there were only three times where I had to continue after sunset or like run with a head torch for for a few minutes but definitely not long and and it really helped me a lot uh, mentally and and to keep on going pretty fast.
I think you're the first female to do the calendar triple crown. Is that right? Yes, I am. And I just got to just jump right in here. That's uh, what's the, I forgot. That's like 7,000 miles, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it depends uh, a little bit on which route you take on the Continental Divide Trail um, because the CDT is um, still has a lot of route options. So you can hike anywhere between 22 and 2,900 miles on that trail. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely hiked over 7,000 miles this year, but I don't know exactly how far, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, 7,000 miles is plenty. And uh, yeah. you described this as a 15 year old dream. So that means you've thought about this for 15 years. Yeah. So, um, our mutual friend, Flying Brian did this in 2001. Uh, he was the very first person ever to do the calendar year triple crown. Backpacker Magazine wrote an article about him that was a bit delayed, but uh, I read it after I finished my first through hike in 2003. So I guess it's good they delayed it because as soon as I read that article, I was like, I'm going to do this. Wow. And it took me 15 years to get around to it. But I mean, my mom still remembers that day that I came like running down the stairs with the magazine in my hand, waving it at her going, I'm going to do this. Wow, that's an incredible yeah. story. So you got stoked 15 years ago, and now you've done it. Yep, yep. Yeah, so it was, in it, and, and Brian came out um, and surprised me at the end. Like, he drove 15 hours and slept at a trailhead and found me on my last day and hiked the last, like, 10 miles with me. Um, and so that was really, really incredible and super meaningful to me to have the person that I read about that made me want to do this 15 years ago show up and be there at the end of the journey with me so that's so classic because that shows the community doesn't it how supportive the community sure. is yeah um, definitely what, now did you what was, what was the order was it the at the cdt then the pct i so i broke up the at and the cdt around um each other so i actually started um at springer mountain georgia on the at and i went all the way up to the vermont new hampshire border um, but the, the Appalachian Trail was having a terrible, like, late winter, spring. It was still snowing in the White Mountains when I got there in May. So I ended up going out to New Mexico and just hiking the southernmost, like, 400 miles of the CDT. So, and then I went over to do the PCT, and I did the whole PCT straight northbound, and then I came back and hiked um, most of the CDT southbound. Then I went and finished up in Maine and New Hampshire on the AT and then went back to the CDT. So there was some hopping back and forth between the AT and the CDT because of weather. Right. And that is, in terms of triple crowners, that's how Flying Brian did it back in 2001 mm -hmm. for the same reason. It's really hard due to snow to literally through hike all these long trails because it just doesn't work in terms of snow. You have to move around a little bit and be a little strategic. Yeah, I mean, you either have to do that or um, just be willing to put up with a lot of suck. <laughs> you know, there have been several people who have done the them straight through, um, and they've dealt with, like, just really nasty conditions, either in the northern AT or um, on the CDT or whatever, or early season in the Sierra. Um, and uh, my main motivation in addition to the weather was I also wanted to hike um, the PCT with my uh, fiance um, because he was finishing his triple crown. Um, oh. He's already done the AT and the CDT. So he was finishing his triple crown this year with the PCT. And I wanted to hike that trail in its entirety with him. And so 
that basically made it a little bit more complicated for me weather window wise because I couldn't split the PCT up. So I was like, all right, well, we'll just be flip flopping on the AT and the CDT so that I can have that with him. Gotcha. Interesting. So um, technically, just to wrap up this, so where did you finish? I kind of lost track of this. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was a really random finish. It was in the town of Grants, New Mexico, which is west of Albuquerque. And I finished there basically because my first hop from the AT to the CDT, that was just the most convenient location on the CDT to get to in New Mexico because I just flew into Albuquerque and then took a bus to Grants and the trail goes right through Grants. So I just got on the trail and walked out of town in May. So at the end of the journey, I basically just walked into town. And when I got to like the junction of Route 66, I was just done there. Um, so it was a very arbitrary finish to the whole thing. Gotcha. It wasn't at the Mexico or Canada border. Correct. It was not at any of the termini of any of the trails. Gotcha. Thank you. I, I was trying to figure that out. So thank you for the explanation. So sure. in terms of uh, self-supported, I mean, how are you terming this? So if you did it, part of it with uh, your boyfriend, that's um, it's interesting, kind of goes a little bit differently. There's a, sometimes it's, people consider it supported if one is doing it with someone else, sort of like a pacer. But if you're doing it uh, entirely independent of each other, but accompanied, I mean, how are you approaching that? Um, it was important for me, although I did, you know, set a women's fastest time for completing the calendar triple crown um, or and for the triple crown in general. It wasn't intended to be an FKT. Like, I didn't want that to be the focus of this. And so my goal was basically to do these trails exactly how I felt like doing them at any given time and not trying to um, put any sort of rules on them. So, I mean, I had friends come out and crew me um, at various points and my fiance followed me on the CDT as best he could and met me along the way. And so um, first and foremost, they were just through hikes and I did them sometimes on my own and sometimes I had people with me and sometimes I didn't. And um, and it was good. It was refreshing after, you know, having FKTs be my focus for so long to just kind of do the trails however I felt like it. Right. Right. And uh, <laughs> since uh, it takes 200, it took 251 days and 20 hours and over 7,000 miles, I think to have it do it as you feel like doing it is probably the, the, the most appropriate style. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, it was important to me to if I was going to be out there for that long doing trails I'd already done twice before to enjoy it, you know, not make this into something that was like really hard or like it didn't need to be any harder or more challenging. I didn't need to apply any sort of rules <laughs> to make it harder. Um so yeah, it was important um, you know, I mean speed wasn't the the main thing cuz I mean, I took lots of time where I spent, you know, two, three days with a friend in between trails or, you know, made time to like go visit family along the way. And, um, you know, just, uh, you know, when people wanted to, to help me out, you know, I didn't want to have to say, no, I can't. Um, so it was, it was a good way to like really have a different and more full experience on the trails. Terrific. That's a really good style. 
Now, we, now technically, yeah. we probably should consider it supported for those reasons, but that doesn't really matter. Like you said, you've done these <laughs> twice before. Yeah. So this is your first calendar Triple Crown, but it's right. that's also the third time you've done it. So it's the not calendar, but Triple Triple Crown, which is you're the only person to do all these three times? No, um, I think that there are four men who've done each of these trails three times. Wow. And so I'm the first woman to do them three times. Gotcha. Well, it, again, for people like me and most of our listeners, we're going, really? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's impressive. So I think that was an excellent clarification there that so uh, officially speaking, this would probably be considered supported, but so what? Mm -hmm. Fine. I mean, you did what you right. wanted. You did in your style. And the ultimate rule, as I think you would agree, is that classic line, hike your own hike. Exactly. Yeah. And that was um, something I thought about a lot this year, because when I set out um, at the beginning, I had in my head that this was going to be a, you know, a self-supported hike, you know, and Early on, um, my fiance wanted to meet me and help me out along the way. Um, and I had to come to terms with whether I wanted that to be part of my hike or not. And uh, I mean, that was just in the first couple of weeks. And I was like, you know what? I do. I want this to be, I want this to unfold. And I wanted to, I felt like that was definitely an area for growth for me. Because I mean, as you know, when you're trying to do an FKT or something, it's all about the spreadsheets and the organization and controlling all the variables. And number one, there's no way to control all the variables for eight and a half months. Um, and I wanted to just have uh, relinquish control of that and let things kind of unfold and um, be okay with it and hike my own hike, whatever that hike ended up being. And so it was a, a nice area for, for growth for me, for sure. Well, that's an excellent, very articulate description. I think a lot of people can relate to that uh, because that with the giant growth of FKTs and, as you know, some professional interests coming in, we have to track these fairly carefully so that it's a level playing field. And so when you just are completely honest and say, this was refreshing, I've done this twice already, and now I just wanted to have this unfold as it will and to enjoy it, that's a, that's a wonderful call. Yeah. Yeah, it, it ended up being a really great call. Give us a quick heads up on what this is, because everyone knows rim to rim to rim, you especially, since you have the FKT on that. So what's how is this different, or just describe this? Yeah, so this one um, is going to be the alternative rim to rim to rim, uh, as you've named it. Uh, you're kind of one of the founders and pioneers of this route, but it's really aesthetic because it's the only other trail that goes from the South Rim all the way to the North Rim on a continuous trail. Um, but the catch being uh, it doesn't have a bridge or any real means to get across the river like the Kaibab Trail has where you run across the Black Bridge. So this one, you got to bring gear down with you and... Um, kind of figure out a way to psych yourself up to get across the river. Um, <laughs> and then, and then the, the trail itself is just completely different. Um, 
there are sections that are great and they're runnable, but for the most part, you're running through creek beds, you're bushwhacking, you're looking for cairns. I think we we just constantly had an ongoing joke during the day. Um, or, or I guess I'll preference this as well as uh, so. You did it with uh, Peter Backwin and Charles uh, Corfield. Charles Corfield, okay. Um, in 2014, originally. And so we did it as a group as well. So it ended up being myself, Tim Frericks, and Eric Sensman that kind of embarked on this journey. So when I say we, um, it'll be the three of us that are kind of the, the three that set out to do it. Um, we also had... Jamil Curry ran from the South Rim down with us to help kind of just document it. He thought it was a really cool idea and wanted to help tell that story. And then we also had Chris Thornley uh, hike down in the dark. Um, he's the guy on the safety boat across the American River during Western States. And uh, I guess in the ultra running world, um, a lot of people know his brother, Craig Thornley, who's the RD for Western States. So, so, he, so he's, uh, seen, he's seen you swim before. He he has seen me, yeah, swim before and seen me in tricky spot before because there's kind of a, a little YouTube video that people can find of just uh, if you Google Jim Walmsley swimming Western State, something like that, you'll see where I kind of get swept down. And I think they've altered the rules now at Western States. You have to hang on to the rope because I had heard that Rob Carr like actually swam across and people are like, Oh, it's the fastest I've seen anyone get across the river. And in 2016, I was definitely trying to just go as hard as I could and get super fast time. And, um, yeah, so I, I ended up trying to swim across and before I knew it, I was getting swept down by the current, um, no, kind of found the, the no. life jacket really sweeps you down a bit too, is my opinion on that. But on the Grand Canyon, well, you don't really want to go down that far, do you? So you alluded to psych yourself up for the swim across. So that means yeah. you get down to the river and you did this in December. You did this on December 12th and you're looking across that river. And what are you guys thinking? It's a lot bigger um, than the American river. Uh, I think it's probably four to 10 times bigger than the American river, as far as cubic feet per second, um, flow rate. The, the main part is kind of figuring out a place that you're comfortable crossing with because you have the bass rapids that you can see down there. And originally, um, we were going to do this a week earlier. And I think I ran into you at the running event and told you we were going to do it on a Tuesday and Temperatures, we originally wanted to camp out the night before, but temperatures ended up just dropping um, around the state. So you're at an elevation at the south rim at like 6,700 feet. So just the nights get really cold and we weren't up for camping in single digits or uh, in the teens sort of thing. So we decided that we still wanted to go check it out. It'd been a route that I've never seen. So there's only so many routes in the Grand Canyon that go from rim to river and the Bass Trail being probably the most western one on the south rim in kind of the beginning of the the classic Grand Canyon uh, and especially like the park area uh, it's like the westernmost side so it, it was ended up kind of being a scouting trip and we brought all of our stuff down we were gonna practice swimming across and back and just kind of get a feel for it 
and basically we got down there um, for our scouting trip, which was supposed to be the, the day. And we just stood and looked at the river for probably 30 minutes. And it was just like, well, someone's got to go first and this and that. And uh, more or less, it ended up being, uh, well, let's just not make this into a crappy day and get super cold. Let's just pack it up. And we'll, we, we know what we're dealing with right now. And the interesting part is we were actually looking at a part of the river that was um, upstream of the Bass Rapids. And the trickiest part about that is if you don't get across, you are taking a ride. Um, <laughs> so that was in retrospect, a really good call not to try to cross there. I think it could have been really bad. And we went back and we talked with more people in Flagstaff and we went back and looked at your data and pictures and stuff. And it's just like, I think I actually got outvoted on the practice day. Um, Tim was like adamant that that would be the spot. And then Eric was like, oh, Chris Thornley said, go super far right because that that's the best spot to hit. And I'm just looking at it like, that's right above the rapids. Like, you're kidding. And um, I, I'm glad we at least thought about it. And we decided to cross downstream from the Bass Rapids. And then you have probably a quarter mile at least uh, before the Shinuma Rapids. And that one gets trickier because even if you go for a ride through those rapids, now you're in some box canyons that's extremely hard to get out of. So yeah, you, you definitely need to get across the river. Um, and kind of once we did it the first time, uh, Chris talked to me into, uh, or I guess on the 12th when we actually went for it, um, my idea was just, I'm gonna get down there, I'm gonna change and I'm just gonna go. So right now, I'm not even sure if there's any footage or pictures of me crossing the first time because I just took off and I swam across. And more or less, my idea was just I want to set the tone and like, we're not, we're, we're here to do it. We're not here to chicken out. And we're, we're going to kind of really take that mentality um, as doing it. But Chris Thornley was really adamant about hit like kind of the tail of the Bass Rapids and use that to kind of propel yourself onto the beach. And uh, I definitely got a little more ride of a ride than I was looking for while doing that um, and kind of got thrashed around by the rapids a little bit. Well, but, Jim, um, Jim, I think you're identifying for the listeners what they might be in for. I think uh, Daniel yeah. commented later, I think this is going to take off now. But people listening to this might be having second thoughts about that. You've described it real well. You get down there, you're you're alone. There isn't a ranger standing over your shoulder. No. There isn't an aid station on the other side. So if you get into trouble, it's all up to you. It's a, it's a very real situation. Um, and I think going down there to scout it out really put that in context better than anything else um in getting our eyes on the river and actually contemplating swimming across the river it ended up going a lot better than i think we thought it would and i know when the first time crossing we were just all pumped with adrenaline the other guys swam down a little bit to avoid some of the fastest moving water uh, that i hit and kind of went around it and still made it across pretty well but on the way back um we decided we were going to go further downstream from the rapids and the swim back was uh, much less eventful and went really smoothly. So I feel like now we have the spot of definitely where we would like to cross and lots of confidence to swim it if we ever want to do it again. Uh, but 
yeah, it, kind of learning where to cross and making that decision um, was a bit interesting. And uh, well, that's classic FKT action. Obviously, yeah. you're a top ultra runner. You know, this country, UTMB, then FKTs are a different game. When you and I talked in person at the running event, we had a great conversation and I noted, yeah, you got to hit the crossing <laughs> because like you said, yeah. if you go down, you it's going to get interesting down there. That water is cold. And of course, this time of year, the air is cold and you can't always get out. Yeah. And I had friends kind of thrown out the, well, what if one of you guys get swept down? And I'm like, well, it's not really an option. If you get in the river, you got to make it across because even if someone starts to get swept down, even as a bystander watching your friend get swept, it's not a lot you can do until they cling on to some sort of wall and you can find them that way. But it can turn into an extremely real situation. What we did um, and ended up being <clears throat> the best call that we did was uh, we bought these little Amazon dry bag uh, personal flotation devices. So kind of decided our shoes took up too much room in it we wanted the bag to have a little more buoyancy but it's this uh 20 liter to 30 liter bag rolls up as a dry bag you can stuff your gear that you need on the north side and we put everything in there and then there's a little leash that connects to your waist but that was huge because whether you got tired or whether you hit a slow part of the river we could grab that and just kick over and uh, that ended up being probably the best thing that we took down there, um, was just something that floated like that. It kind of acted as like a bit of a floaty paddle board. Um, and that was a brilliant, uh, uh, addition, Jim. If I ever, yeah, do it, it, again, it, it was I, cheap on Amazon and definitely that, worth it. That's how it works, isn't it? We build upon each other. I would love yeah. to have had that when we swam across, <laughs> that was a good idea. And just a little context here. So your time on rim to rim to rim is sub six hours. And this one is a little over 12 hours. And it's the ex almost the exact same elevation profile, distance and vert. And like you say, the trail's harder and a little uh, harder to find. And you have to prep for two swims. So otherwise, what do you think? I mean, would you recommend this to other people or how are you seeing this? Um. I would say it depends on your background and your skill level. I think coming in as a good ultra runner, um, you definitely have a leg up as far as the fitness side of it, but it's definitely one of the more remote long runs I've ever done. And with that, you need uh, backcountry skills. And then in addition, just like when you've done it, you've done it with other people having a buddy or a couple buddies to do this route, I, I can't recommend that more. Um, as far as just you have someone to troubleshoot and help in bad situations. And we felt this was a complete success mainly because no one got hurt, no one got lost, no one got swept downstream and all three of us made it. And for us, like, as a whole day, I think that's kind of the biggest takeaway that made this a, this a success. Oh, 